So this is Dark Habits on all of our podcast. Uh, the third one we are recording, and this is we're finally getting to the iconic Rainer Werner Fassbender. Uh, we have a, finally, uh, finally, right in the context of like our entire series, not not just this season. Yeah, because like I I I toyed with the idea of maybe we should do a Fassbender podcast, and then I realized I don't want to do that. Curse Law, I had like <laughs> 30, 30 movies, and it's like, oh, this is even more. I don't know if I want to do that many. <laughs> Ultra uh, project, yeah. Yeah, it's gonna, that, that'll take that'll take like three or four years, and mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Luckily, the last guy, the last. I never mind. I'll tell you later later about the the fifth season topic I have in mind. Anyway, so uh, yeah, uh, we have a special guest from. Uh, she is on Cinep. No, not Cinepunk's podcast. I, uh, I I did used to be very involved with Cinepunks. What's the show? Cinema oh, Smorgasbord. There we go. And specifically, uh, Bartell Me Something Good, which is a podcast dedicated to the life and work of Paul Bartell. That's a I. That's part of my favorite uh of the Cinema Smorgasbord episodes podcast. I don't know what what you call that thing exactly, but it's my, it's my favorite thing. That's when I I hope for, like when when spend a few weeks. Like I think it's time for another one. But yeah, well, the, the thing about Cinema Smorgasbord is that they do so many shows that it takes several months for it to get back to, uh, Bartell. But there there are so many other great shows on that network. So I'm really flattered to hear that Bartell Me Something Good is your favorite because there's some pretty stiff competition in my opinion. Yeah, the Jackie Chan one is probably my second favorite, and then other are really good. But like Jackie Chan and and uh, uh, Paul Bartel are like, oh, th- this will be the highlight of my week. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, uh, Joel, they do a series on George Kennedy. Uh, one of their oh, uh, stole my idea. I yeah, George, George Kennedy, Kennedy is my co-pilot. Is the name of the yeah. the show. Uh, you you know what? You don't even have a choice. He just showed up, and you're like, "Hey, George." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, actually, we're gonna, we're going to do one Paul Bartel movie uh, on this season, uh, "Lust for, Lust in the Dust." That's a good one. Yeah, because uh, I like westerns, and I want an excuse to watch it again, and it it kind of fucking rules, in my opinion. <laughs> I agree. Let's see. Listen, you don't need an excuse to watch movies. You don't need an excuse to I drink know. soda, you know? Yeah, but I want to share Lust and Dust with you, Joel, because I think you might enjoy it. It's really fun. I appreciate that. Okay. It's the I look other, forward to it. It's the other... Uh, it's like the other great um, Divine movie that isn't a John Waters one, because I think... No. I don't think she did that many other movies besides John Waters ones. Hmm. I think anyway, yeah. So, um, for the first um, of the Fassbender installments, I went in to talk about well, talk about Fox and his friends. And um, so, uh, I, uh, Alexandria. Too many, too many A names on our show. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, Adriana, so uh, what is Fox and his... Well, actually, first off, who is this Fassbender fellow? Oh, boy. 
Uh, okay. Um, so Fassbinder was a West German filmmaker. He was part of what's known as the New German Cinema Movement, um, which was kind of it's a it was like a, a a movement that emerged in west germany in the late 60s that was sort of a response to um a kind of artistic and social and political or what was perceived as a, an artistic and social and political stagnation in west germany and um you know some of some of the you know the early vanguard of the new german cinema were people like dr alexander kluga uh, Werner Schroeder, uh, Volker Schlerndorf, um, and then, you know, later people like Wim Wenders, Werner Herzog, and of course, Reiner Werner Fassbinder. Uh, and um, Fassbinder, uh, he has roots in the theater. Um, he, uh, towards the late 60s, he started experimenting with 8mm film, um, but he quickly shifted his attention to the theater um, and uh, in, in 1967, he encountered this group called the Action Theater uh, in Munich and got involved with them. And, and later, there was sort of a a reorganization within the group where uh, a number of people kind of became more closely aligned with what Fassbinder wanted to do versus um, her name was Ursula Straits, which she was kind of the founder of the Action Theater. Uh, and so a bunch of people left with Fassbinder, and Fassbinder started uh, the anti-theater, the anti-theater. And uh, that core group of people, collaborators, uh, wound up becoming very involved with um, his films. Um, so that that's kind of like the the very very brief summation of of Fassbinder's early career and. Mm. Uh, in 1969, he made his debut feature film, Love is Colder Than Death. And I guess the rest is history. He just kept churning out those films. Um, he was incredibly prolific. He made 42 feature films. And that that includes uh, some television movies and miniseries. And he is one of my all-time favorite filmmakers. Yeah, um, like there's a... There are certain like artists where like uh, when, when I learn people are obsessed with them, uh, I, I see their stuff. I'm like, yeah, I can I can get be getting obsessed with this like with this type of thing. And for me, Fassbender is one of those like I've only seen five of his movies so far, but it's one of those things like I need to see everything, but also that's gonna kind of ruin ruin my day every like that that'll like ruin me for the rest of the year <laughs> and just fuck up my mood so i don't know if i want to like burn through everything so quickly yeah and that's that's not an uncommon view um a, a lot of people find his his find watching his films to be very emotionally taxing um which i totally understand and i'm not um impervious to that either i mean but I, I really I really love uh, well my friend Liam O'Donnell who um, was the co-founder of Cinepunks and is one of my co-hosts on Bar Tell Me Something Good he has a saying that I really identify with which is that I love movies that don't love me back um, which is to say that I I find myself drawn to films that are are very emotionally devastating 
Uh, and I don't know, I find that um, the experience of, of watching those kinds of films make me feel more in touch with my emotions and more alive than any other kind of film. You know, I like I like a movie that's just pure entertainment as much as the next person, but I just feel more, I guess, stimulated, for lack of a better word, by movies that really challenge me or that make me feel very deeply. And that is certainly what Fassbender's films do for me. Um, you know, they they are this really captivating blend of emotionally lacerating melodrama and political and social commentary and formal rigor. And uh, the, the other aspect of it is, you know, once you start watching a lot of his movies, you start to recognize all of his regular actors and, and a lot of these people doubled as crew members. I mean, somebody like Kurt Robb, who is my favorite of, of Fassbender's collaborators, he worked on 31 films with Fassbender. He was Fassbender's most frequent collaborator other than Fassbender's mom, who appeared in, in, more, in more films than, than Rob and anybody. But Rob not only acted in Fo- for Fassbender, but he was also an assistant director, a production designer, which is arguably you know, the thing that he is most known for. And he was production designer on Fox and His Friends. Uh, but yeah, so you, you start to really develop a fondness for all of these people, or, or at least I did. And, it, you know, it revisiting a Fassbender movie feels like returning home for me. Yeah, I, I've, I get, I've gotten to know these people. I get that. I'm a big John Waters fan. When I, when I rewatch, like, the pre, I guess, like, um, wait, uh, 88. So, like, well, Hairspray has some of the regular people. I think a lot of them were dead by then. But, like, bef- yeah, the, the ones Dreamlanders. Before, <laughs> yeah. But, like, when I rewatch, like, Pink Flamingos and shit, like, I see... Like Cookie Mueller and uh, David Lockery, I'm like, oh, yeah. this this is comfort food. I'm home. It's funny you mentioned John Waters because that is actually how I discovered Fassbender's work. Because John Waters has always been a very vocal champion of Fassbender, um, and so you know when I was 13, 14, that's when I really started um, developing a serious interest in film. And I was kind of an edgelord, and also just starting to understand my own queerness so john waters was somebody who really appealed to me and i was i was just gonna say that like i read a lot of interviews with john waters and he always mentioned this guy fassbender who i hadn't heard of so that's what led me to start watching fassbender's films oh okay um i never actually i never really said this on a podcast yet which i'm kind of shocked but i discovered john waters um on i love the 70s and he'd always be on there to talk about uh, retro porn. And when I was 13, I thought he was the coolest guy in the world. Yeah. And uh, then... We must I'm be not... around the same age then. Because I also... I mean, I watched all the... I love the 80s, I love the 70s. And I remember... I remember John Waters being a talking head in those, too. Uh, yeah, and um, I remember... Because, like... But, uh, I, I grew up like in a very, like, Catholic... Uh, conservative area and so for me like when well, my bubble was very Catholic conservative growing up but so for me when I learned he was, John Waters was gay when I was like 18 I was like what the fuck that guy's gay <laughs> <laughs> that, that is familiar. funny 
uh, Joel, what are you going to say? <laughs> I said that I've, I've had that experience with many people when I was younger, like, oh, that person's gay. And, mm-hmm. and sometimes it was like, a, like, doesn't really matter. It's just something, information in my brain. Sometimes it was like, oh, it's like Joel Schumacher was gay. Oh. Yeah, it just totally recontextualizes everything. Yeah, like, it makes it kind of better, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow, I thought, that, I thought you were going to roast me about think not no, not realizing that about John Waters. Oh, I don't. What are you talking? He's such a handsome man with that mustache. What, of course, he can get any <laughs> lady he wants. Yeah, he he has a he looks like a pervert flasher. <laughs> That's great. Mm-hmm. Works for him. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so a friend of the show, uh, Chris Funderburg, is also a big Fassbender guy. Uh, I'm gonna switch switch between Fassbender and Fassbender. Uh, just like without realizing it the whole time. So if this bothers anyone, I'm sorry, but I don't know it's just it's gonna happen. Get over but, it. It's fine. Yeah. But Chris Funderburg in some Pink Smoke podcast episode, also founder of the Pink Smoke Pink Smoke website. He's directed short films and I think at least think one feature film. Uh, Tony Stella did the poster for it. Anyway, um, Funderburg describes Fassbender movies as like, uh, or he said like part of Fassbender I, like uh, identity is like, oh fuck, my parents let let Hitler happen. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's that is. Uh, there are kind of like three core themes that Fassbender returns to over and over again in his films, um, and of course he explores other ideas and issues as well. Um, but he has like these little pet themes, and one of them certainly is, um, you know, what he perceived as West Germany's inability to create true social progress and a better way forward in the wake of World War Two. And that it kind of, that West Germany lost its soul to capitalism in, you know, what was called the Wirtschaftswunder, the economic miracle. Um, the sort of period after the war of, of um, uh, economic prosperity in Germany. And I think his film, The Marriage of Maria Brown, is um, perhaps the most straightforward explana- exploration of this idea. But it's it's something that he explores in a, in a number of his films. So I would certainly agree with Chris on that. Oh, uh, Chris is also a Philly guy. Well, group Philly area guy. Oh, I didn't know that. I, I like the pink smoke, but I didn't know that he was Philly based. So that's cool. Uh, well, he lives in New York, but he grew up around Philly. Uh, so, okay. So Joel, since you're the new person who has not seen Fox and his friends, what oh. is this movie? It's about a guy who is kind of painted as a loser almost from the beginning. He works in a circus sideshow that's shut down, <laughs> probably for being indecent. And from there, we just kind of follow him along. He's He thinks he's going to make it one day. He buys lottery tickets, and part of the first section of the movie is him desperately trying to get just, just enough money to buy one lottery ticket, because he knows. He knows this is going to be the one. And although we don't I believe we don't see him win. Oh, no. He does. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it does um, the Ozu so, thing of, like, skipping stuff. Like, he won a lottery. But we're like, who cares? And That's not the important part. Right. No, it's what happens afterwards. Yeah. So he starts hanging out with some slightly more bougie people. He gets invited to bougie parties. 
and he gets picked up by the wrong guy. Like, as soon as you meet this guy, you're like, oh, this is not going to go well. And the rest of the movie happens, and um, it ends in a train station just like, um, oh, what's that Miyazaki movie that is incredibly depressing about children? Is oh, it Grave that? of the Fireflies? Thank you, Grave of the That's Fireflies. The That's the other guy, I believe. Yeah, it, it's it was a Studio Ghibli movie, but it it wasn't Miyazaki. It's the one it's who died Miyazaki. recently. Uh, did you did you murder him? No, he was old. Okay. Oh, he's, he's, okay. he's the one that did um the one about like the girl who's it like going through her period and all that stuff that Disney didn't dub for like twenty fucking years for some reason. But they dubbed Princess Mon okay because violence is okay, but talking about menstruation in the movie in the animation is oh turning red. I think is that the movie you're thinking of? Uh, no, it's the so early nineties Studio Ghibli. Oh, film, okay. Right? Early nineties Studio Ghibli one. It's re- really good, but only yesterday. Oh, you're thinking of Por- Porco Rosco? <laughs> yes. Only yesterday. So we watched that during season one only yesterday. Yeah. Okay. I don't yeah. remember that part, but that's because it's insignificant. Like, I know, but like, it's weird because like this. That no, was I know why it's weird. Job. Yeah, yeah. But the violence like, of Princess Mononoke is okay. To... Okay, yeah. Yeah, censorship. Censorship is bullshit. Mononoke is a, it's a masterpiece in my mind. Just for record, it's just the weird business censorship stuff is like uh, is dumb. Um, I agree. Yeah, so I would describe this movie as uh, it's kind of My Fair Lady, except if it was like uh, a melod- like the, like the depressing melodrama. Yeah, I mean, I can see that comparison because that the the char- the Oigan character played by Peter Chattel is um, at least he he. Pr- gives this pretense of wanting to teach Fox all of the, the refineries of, you know, his, of bourgeois society. But I think the movie cast doubt on how sincere he actually is and how much he actually cares or is invested in Fox's integration into this new social class he finds himself in. But, and also, uh, I think Klaus, the uh, you had you had kind of speculated as to why the carnival was shut down and that mm-hmm. Klaus was arrested. Uh, at some point in the film, it's mentioned that he w- he went to prison for tax evasion. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's literally one line towards like the in the, in the last half hour, it gets brought up. Talking yeah. about like yeah, if I give the money between friends is different than tax evasion. Come on. Yeah. So, Joel, what did you think of this movie? Uh, it was a laugh riot. I was slapping my knees so hard I've got them bruised. <laughs> my socks flew off and eyeballs popped up. No. Um, I. What do I think of this movie? Like, it, it's a, it's a very good movie. It's. Um, part of it reminded me of this movie. Um that I watched a couple of times that I just I don't know something really clicked with it for me um, and now I can't remember what it's called something about Mike's 
like something. And uh, just watching, like, you know what's going to happen to this guy. Especially if you have a friend who's like, oh, this is one time for me. You you know, you watch it, you don't want to watch it again. It's like, okay, so something tragic's going to happen, obviously. Yeah, I mean, the movie uh, spoil, spoils itself because everyone around is telling him, this is bad, he's going to steal your money. Right, I mean, I think well, it's telegraphed pretty clearly, like, what is going to happen to Fox, but the journey of getting there is still very compelling. Hey, everybody's having a good time watching this happen, though. Like, sometimes somebody tries to be sincere, but mixed amongst all the, uh, we're talking about something, but we're not really talking about something, mm-hmm. language that's going on. I don't know how they expected Fox, who doesn't, he's not all that bright. Like like he says, he doesn't catch on to what's going on. He's he knows what who he is though, and but that's yeah. not enough. Yeah, um, like it's really just the like it gets it gets like oppressively upsetting, like in a in, in like not an exciting way, but in like a I guess exciting way, kind of like a I don't know how, how to phrase this, but like it gets like this like very dramatic. There we go. That's what I'm trying to think of, like in dramatic way, where it's like like you watching him, like you you know he knows this is bad. But like he just can't bring himself to do anything about it, and he gets talked out of it. And like there's even a part where he's like, "Well, I know I'm an idiot," and it's like, "No, stop! You're 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 letting the, your shitty boyfriend win. You're you're better than this, Fox. Yeah. You, you well, he just wants better. so much to be to be loved, and that is his downfall. Mm-hmm. I don't even think that's. I don't know how to say. Like, be, feeling sorry for Fox's character, yes. Uh, like, I think everyone in the movie in, and people watching it would feel sorry for Fox. But because everything was so blatantly broadcast that, like, oh, this is going to happen. Oh, and this is how he's the other guy's going to get the apartment. Oh, and this is how the rest of his money's going to disappear. Like, none of it was a shocking surprise to me. Like, they just built everything up, and when it came crashing down, you're like, okay, that's exactly what I expected to happen. And the, the things that were more striking to me, sometimes it felt like I was looking in an alien world. Mm-hmm. I just don't have that much uh, experience with queer cinema. So, like the way people talking to each other, like I was saying, but just also, I don't know. Of like for me, something. Oh well, like for me, like I, I don't know, maybe it's like half the phrase for it. But like I watch a lot of Drag Race and Dragula and stuff like that, and like I watch a fair amount of like queer stuff. So for me, it's like I, I, uh, it wasn't so alien. Like you're describing aliens, like it was like okay, I, I recognize the lingo and stuff like that. Yeah, well, and I mean, I think one of the interesting things that Fassbender does in this movie is the way that he presents this contrast between this working class um, gay community that revolves around um, this bar where where Fox hangs out and his friends there, the the regulars at the bar, and this uh, more, you know, bourgeois uh, gay circle that he later finds himself enmeshed in and 
I think there are superficial similarities in that, you know, when, when Fox is at this bar and he, and he's, and he's talking to his friends, they, they, they rib him and they, you know, might say things that seem vicious, but it's all, it's all like with the understanding, you know, that they're friends, like this is part of their vernacular and how they relate to each other. But the, but people like Eugen and Max and this, um, this other, this class, this other social class of, of men who all, who happen to be gay, but, but it's like an entirely different world. They actually have real contempt for Fox. But I think, you know, it, it's, it's kind of telling in scenes like where, where Fox has that, uh, he collapses in the bar. Immediately Springer and, um, Kurt Robb's character who is credited as, uh, vodka, vodka Peter. Is he the other guy at the bar who with a, I think he's like, the guy with like uh, the bleached hair okay, and yeah, the yeah. suit. They they that... immediately rush to help Fox. They genuinely care about him. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think that's an interesting con- uh, contrast that that Fassbender creates. And um, one of the things when I first saw this movie in in high school, one of the things I found really refreshing was that yes, th- this whole movie. Um, it revolves around gay characters, but homosexuality is not the issue in the movie. Um, no. It's it's incidental. And I just want to quote Fassbender here. It says Fassbender talking about this uh, subject, which is that, quote, it is certainly the first film in which the characters are homosexuals without homosexuality being made into a problem. In films, plays, or novels, if homosexuals appear, the homosexuality was the problem, or it was a comic turn. But here, homosexuality is shown as completely normal, and the problem is something quite different. It's a love story where one person exploits the love of the other person, and that's the story I always tell. And and I think that's interesting, too, which is that uh, in this movie, Fassbender is exploring a topic that he often did in his films, which is this sort of this idea of the masochism of the heart and the way that our emotions and in particular our capacity for love and desire to be love uh, can often lead us to being manipulate, manipulated or to act against our, our best interests. And uh, in, in this case, he, he's, he's exploring this idea through a, a, com- a, a social milieu that he was very familiar with, um, which is, you know, uh, the gay community and yeah, and t- uh, i like that you see that t- like different like the gay community isn't a uh you uh like a uniform thing you see like the different versions in different areas of it right which but feels like for the time kind of revolutionary because yeah totally uh, like now you would see that but in 75 it just be like the gay character which is like you know all of them are like this but here it's like oh no it's like there's they are individuals also yeah and and um just to to the the point i was trying to make was that like fassbender here is kind of exploring the ways in which you know even minority groups that are persecuted by larger society wind up being a microcosm of that society and wind up um you know reinforcing a lot of the social and institutional um of, of like forces of oppression that they themselves are victims of 
Okay. Uh, well, Joel, I have another question for you. Nope. Uh, was there enough penis in the movie? Did did you did you think there needed to be more naked passenger? I think that fits in basically what you're talking about. Like, it's not weird in the movie. Nobody's like, yeah. oh, why is that guy? That guy's got his dick out. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that may, that may be of what I thought on. No, not really. Like, there were shots that were purposely, like, there's just a guy standing there next yeah. to another guy. And it's not a big deal. Like, male nudity, female nudity, it's, once <laughs> to go back to the, talking about that uh, Studio Ghibli movie that mm. never got dubbed until recently. It's like, it's a part of the body. So, what's up? Why are we afraid of it? Yeah. So... I think Americans really struggle with this. Like, like there's nothing inherently sexual about nudity, but for some reason, Amer Americans really read like s sexuality into nudity, and so mm -hmm. I think uh, because we're we're not as used to seeing male nudity in films as, as female nudity, that like the presence of a naked male body feels very threatening, like or sexually aggressive when when really it isn't. It's just a body. Mm -hmm. uh, I agree with that. Unless uh, there's one instance where it did feel threatening, where I saw Walk Hard with my parents in the theater. I was mm -hmm. 15. I was sitting next to my mom, and that was the most uncomfortable I've ever been in my entire life. Well, that was threatening in a different kind of way. I know, but like, there's a scene where you, there's a, a, a naked guy oh, no. hanging out, and well, it was walk extremely uncomfortable. Yeah, Walk Hard. Sorry. The yeah, I, what that's a perfect example of like how Americans react to it because that's the joke. You know, we only see this guy from the waist down; and he's not wearing anything. So, yeah, his his penis appears on screen randomly a couple of times, and well, <laughs> that's funny. Like, yeah, just conversations going on in this movie. It's not like a joke or anything. Like there is something. Yeah slightly ridiculous about it just just like there is like something slightly ridiculous in everyday interactions with anybody yeah i guess i i have to confess i have never seen walk hard oh, uh, okay we need to stop the podcast <laughs> <laughs> if you like john c Riley, you will love this movie okay it's also if you like oh. if you like a music head they, they reference so many different, like, music from the 60s, 70s and such. It's really, it's entertaining in that way on a level that, like, I don't know. What's another example of a music comedy? What's the one that Lonely Island guy did? Oh, Pop, Pop, Star? Pop Star? Yeah. That one's funny. This one is something, other than the penis, yeah, yeah, your parents will probably enjoy it too. Yeah. Uh, I, mean, I don't think you're a child anymore, so it's okay to watch with your parents. No, Adriana, get permission. And okay. <laughs> I mean, I've I've watched Pink Flamingos with my mom. Like, I Excellent. I don't I don't really. Mm. I seem to have like a a different relationship to like viewing uncomfortable things with parents than a lot of people do. No, my parents are very. I won't say uptight, but like their their taste is very mainstream. So anything even slightly out ordinary is like very uncomfortable to watch with them <laughs> it always has been my word yeah uh 
All right. So, so your parents were the uh, the one guy's parents, like huh? weirded out when he was putting bread into his soup. Yeah, and and the, uh, and when we started doing that, my reaction was like, "Yeah, that's that's what you do with with, yeah. with soup." And then, <laughs> yeah, there are all these little moments that show how petty Oigan and his family are, or how uh, judgmental they are if somebody doesn't conform exactly to you know their idea of. Um, you know, social manners or, you know, how, how things should be, like what is um, socially acceptable. And in this mm. case, like putting bread into your soup is not acceptable. Yeah. Eating with your, eating with your fing- your hands. I mean, I mean that I get, I kind of get, but yeah, there's, there's a lot of ways in which Fox is very harshly judged by the people, um, he is surrounded by. Yeah, yeah I like the the class critique. Well, I, maybe I I assume it's a cl- cl- class critique where like he like is like Fox likes to be funny and goofy at the dinner table, and every time he's with the the bougie people, they just like completely with blank face act like yeah they're what mortified. Are you, what, are you, what are you doing? Why are you making a joke while we're eating dinner? Mm-hmm. They just seem incredibly uptight. Which that's counterbalance to, because that's the same father that works at the the book binding, right? Yeah, he owns like a like, a, pr- a printing business. He, getting drunk all day, he's acting yeah. totally uncouth while he's at work. But the second him and his wife are getting invited over, it's like at your best behavior. Everything's cleaned up. It's not the same person, but this right. is our expectation. I mean, you see, you see that kind of throughout the film, like the way that Oigan and Max and Philip and all those guys behave towards Fox is incredibly uncivilized and barbaric. But they they believe that they are in the right because they belong to this higher in quotes social class, and like they're part of the tension is this idea that like. Fox may have money now, but he will never be able to fit in because that's just not who he is. He doesn't he doesn't belong and you cannot move above your station in society. There are these inescapable social and economic power structures that dictate, you know, society and how people live. And, Uh, you know, I'm sorry. Go ahead. uh, There's a, a Lindsay Anderson movie, This Sporting This Sporting Life. The title's kind of weird, but it's um, uh, Richard Harris is a rugby player. He's a coal miner who becomes a big rugby star. And the whole movie is just a class critique of he goes from being you know, he, he starts low like working class and becomes like or like a rich superstar, a rugby player, but in the eyes of the rich people, he's still just some just some like redneck uh coal miner to them. Yeah, he will never even though he's he's Super, he's rich, successful. He's like the 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 biggest athlete in, like in his league. He he can never be more than just a coal miner to them. Yeah, and I mean that there's certainly a parallel there with Fox and his friends, and and Fox Fox's experience after winning the lottery. Uh, his 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 fatal mistake is thinking that he can uh, integrate into this you know totally different social class and and the the disgust and hostility that he is faced with 
uh, when he attempts to. Yeah, and um, also if if you're curious about watching this sporting life, um, there are rugby scenes where Richard Harris is actually playing rugby like full force. Wow. And it's nope. uh, it, Lindsay it's Anderson did if right. Yes. Okay. And uh, the whole the whole trilogy of Malcolm McDowell. But uh, right. yeah. Yeah, it's it's just pretty cool being like, is that Richard Harris? Like, yeah, it's actually him and like playing full on rugby, and it gets pretty <laughs> rough. <laughs> I'll check that out. Yeah, I think it's almost a great movie. The something is kind of missing, but uh, I still would highly recommend it. All right, so uh, Joel, uh, what, uh, what about Fox and Friends? works for you that we haven't brought up already or stuff you want to talk about mm. uh, the movie I was trying to remember earlier was Mike's murder and that's kind of kind of the premise of this where this nobody is murdered and this one woman who had a brief relationship with him is basically like trying to find out why this happened and so she's tracing back to where he was who he was communicating with to before and we see flashbacks kind of uh, scenes where um, he you know he would prostitute himself for just just be able to survive in Los Angeles and and at the end when he was killed it was just like well that's just another person not not anybody who touched anybody else's lives or anything like that and the end scene in here when that guy who like they said he he appears everywhere somehow uncle max who is yeah uncle i max. think one of the greatest movie villains of all time because <laughs> every time his character is really interesting he, yeah like because for he me, seems to be one of the few people who actually has some degree of sympathy um yes. for fox and what is being done to him but he never intervenes he never he never tries to stop it so no. Uh, I got a different read off of him. To me, it feels like he—he's like to it, third episode in season. We're talking. I mentioned comic books. He's like a watcher. Watcher. He's just like this. He can't. He—he's gonna let it happen. He—he'll observe. But like, there's something sinister about him. Where every time he showed up, I just felt tense. Yeah. Because he had just like kind of. Uh, it's like he literally like just like teleport in, and it's like. Oh, okay. This is gonna. This is oh, like, oh, okay. He's here. Well, now things are gonna get even shittier for Fox. Yeah. Have Have you seen uh the Fassbender film Martha? Uh, not yet. Okay. Well, that um Carl Heinz Bohm, who plays Max, he um he co-stars in Martha, and he plays a, a similarly charismatic figure that has this sort of undercurrent of menace bumbling under the surface and as the film progresses we realize that he's 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 this guy is very bad news um but that that's sort of the vibe um that he has in in fox and his friends as well um but uh, unlike in martha his character never crosses that line into like outright despicable but um you know he certainly is complicit in what what happens to fox for sure yeah, like when he first brings Fox to the party, when Fox is at, Fox is out of the room and he uh, he um 
almost, uh, the mustache guy that looks like Pierre, Pierre Clementi at first at first glance, but not quite Pierre Clementi. What? Uh, oh, that actor. Um, what's his name? I forget anyway. his name. He's in a few of those earlier Fassbender movies. Yeah, but um, when, but there's a part in in the party scene where like there's like discussing him like oh he he's my new he's my newest pet project Rudolph but, Lentz that's his name yeah and that's and they're going off like t- talking about him like oh I captured this like if it, it feels very colonial like oh I captured this, this wild African look at him it, it has that type of tone to it yeah like Fox is sort of the spectacle on display for them to judge and poke fun at and that really is like something that happens throughout the movie not just at that party like they never stop sort of talking about him behind his back making fun of him treating him like you know this zoo animal yeah it's kind of like black girl but from the opposite perspective where in black girl the simbin movie it's all her perspective but in this you get you get a little bit of like the other perspective of like Oh, these rich white people are are terrible, and you get to get the full, uh, you get their the, all their thoughts, all their point of view on it. Yeah, it's like that movie Trading Places where Eddie Murphy. I was know. thinking of Trading Places when I'm watching this. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> a Philly movie too. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Nobody, nobody gets. Uh, well, anyways, I don't want to talk about that. That movie, if it didn't have the blackface, I'd like it a lot more now. Well, there's also the. That's the yep. thing I didn't want to say. There's a gorilla rape, so yeah, not, yeah, uh, yeah. But there's stuff in that that isn't great. Implied. But... Maybe hasn't aged well. Oh no, yeah. <laughs> no. I think it's parts. Some some uh, parts are hilarious still, but others aren't. Oh yeah. Yeah, sure. one one aspect of this movie that I think we should touch on is the sort of personal component um, because Fassbender he he grew up fairly middle class and when he was a teenager his parents divorced when he was very young and when he, when he was a teenager he went to go live with his father in Cologne and uh, you know while he was there he worked as a rent collector for his father's for some properties that his father owned and and Many of these properties were basically tenements where immigrants, or as they as they were called in in, in Germany, the Gastarbeiter, the foreign workers, uh, where they lived. And this was really a formative experience for Fassbinder because this is when he really first started to develop this fascination and identification with the working class um, and and immigrants and outsiders um, that that really he carried. Um, for the rest of his life and throughout his career that we see in his work and certainly that we see in Fox and his friends. Um, but um, a lot of his collaborators and a lot of Fassbinder scholars have talked about the fact that um, this movie is really interesting because Fassbinder, the, the character that Peter Chattel plays, Eugen, is really a version of Fassbinder and the character of Fox um, could represent a number of Fassbinder's working class lovers Um, and and it's interesting that he kind of chose to put himself in this sympathetic role as this working class character um, 
and and it, 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 you know at one point there was a dedication in the film like to Armin and all the others Armin being Armin Meyer who was like a an illiterate butcher who who Fassbender had a relationship with um that he met around the time he he started production on this movie but yeah it's really interesting that like Fassbender is kind of in a in in one way sort of criticizing himself through this movie and 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 how he ha- he has treated and objectified these working class men uh who he was romantically involved with and there's a really really good interview on the Criterion Blu-ray of, of Fox and his friends with Harry Bear who who plays Philip in this movie uh, where he talks about this um but yeah that adds a very interesting layer to the movie where you don't you don't need to know that to to appreciate like various aspects aspects of this film but if you if you are aware of certain biographical information about Fassbender it definitely like adds an interesting layer to the to the movie that you could dissect uh yes uh I was I was expecting Joel to say something first (laughs) did that make sense uh, yes, yes, it did make sense. Okay. Yeah, of course it did. I sorry, I was, I was thinking about, I was thinking about the encounter that they had when they were in Marrakesh, and ah yes, with Al Hedy Ben Salam. Almost, almost like a, the experience he had gone through probably in his life many times, except he was on the other side this time. So, while, you know, uh. You keep saying his name, and I keep calling. I keep thinking Eugen. That's not his name. Eugen. 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 Yeah. So Eugen literally is translating because Fox doesn't speak the same language uh, as as what is that? I, who cares what his character's name is? That guy. Well, his character. I don't think his character ever yeah, provides a name. We don't. We don't ever get a name. I think he's just like oh, yeah. an, an Arab, and that's yeah, basically he's, he's it. He's just a Moroccan. Yeah. <laughs> Well, the movie says yeah, Arab. Cass is in uh, Wikipedia Salem. Or whatever. Oh, he does say that. He says his name is oh. Salem mm-hmm. when they're at, uh, at the restaurant. Yeah. So, so again, a very thin, thin divide uh, between mm-hmm. like real life and what is going on in the movie. Exactly. Yep. That's, that's all. I was just making it. Okay. Yeah, and uh, I, I we, we talked about like the class stuff, the uh, the kind of like the uh, cultural things, but like to me this this felt like uh, like I don't know, but like, p- politically was Fassbender uh, was he a leftist? Was was he apolitical? Uh, do uh, you know? We could do a whole podcast episode <laughs> on this subject. So. Okay. <clears throat> Fassbender, he like shied away from from act like traditional activism and and direct action, but um, he certainly was sympathetic to leftist causes to varying degrees, and I think you can kind of glean that from his films. Mm -hmm. Um, But but he, I think it's debatable whether he was like a political filmmaker in the traditional sense. Um, But yeah, he, I mean, there. 
there were people involved in the in the action theater and people he knew socially who later went on to be involved in, in Bader Meinhof and the Red Army faction and, and Fassbender's phones were tapped by the West German government because he knew these people. Uh, and if and if you if you watch his segment in the anthology film Germany in Autumn, which was a response from various West German filmmakers to the terrorism that was going on in the late seventies, uh, with um Bader Meinhof and the Red Army faction, it, you can tell that he he really resented this sort of draconian government response to what was going on, and that he, um, at least to a certain extent, understood where uh, these leftist gr- groups were coming from. Um, but yeah, I don't. I think Fassbinder was like actually very kind of tricky to categorize as any one thing politically i know he described himself as a romantic anarchist okay. um, but he like, certainly wasn't right wing okay yeah uh, yeah because like watching this is like is this a critique of capitalism uh definitely okay i wasn't no, sure if, like no. if that's if i was assuming too much or not and also like parts of this you... felt like pasolini ish but like but politics toned way down because pasolini was all, yes. all of politics. Yeah, Pasolini was like an avowed Marxist communist, and you could you could tell that. And he also yeah. wrote; he did a lot of journalism, and, and he wrote extensively about politics too. So, yeah, he was. Um, I think he was awesome. There's a. I'm not sure if you've seen the picture or not, but at the premiere of Mama Roma, a fascist showed up, and he. Oh, where he's punching him? <laughs> yes. That is a great image. That really sums up so much about Pasolini. That one image. Uh, it's so good. Well, I, well, I mean, there's the duplicity of of these people who pretend to be higher than yeah. the people that they're stepping on to get where they are, right? It's yeah. like um, one of the things that has to occur to you or to, uh, well, to somebody who's watching it is that, like, Fox's money has gone into his... Uh, boyfriend's life and and also saving this you know quote unquote saving that factory but they were running out of money that they already had and there was already more than one disaster just while fox was in you know quote unquote employed there uh how long is that thing gonna last in the end scene where he goes back to the apartment and the locks have been changed we see uh ugen is that ugen ugen Eugen. Eugen darf ein Hufen machen. Sorry, that was me making fun of German, and I am an asshole. Uh, Eugen. <laughs> and uh, his ex-boyfriend just hanging out on the balcony, like, oh, I hate this furniture. We need to get rid of it immediately. Ugh, like, yeah. I don't understand. I mean, I know why, because he's a asshole. <laughs> but also, that money doesn't exist. Like... His ex-boyfriend didn't suddenly become rich again. Eventually, it's just going to all fall around to bankruptcy and whatever. Yeah. And obviously, these people don't help each other unless there's they're getting something out of it. Yeah, and so, there there are, there are a couple moments that really made me think like this is a, some this is just like a game they a game for them because there's a point where Oigan and Fox go to the travel agent and that travel agent says. Oh, you have another boyfriend, which feels like okay. You, you've done this before, 
and then the mm-hmm. end when Max is with Klaus and there's this I got the sense of like oh he's grooming Klaus to so they can uh, take advantage of him yeah well there's also a moment in the movie where um, Eugen and Philip are talking and, and Eugen says you know you'll live in this apartment one day like it, it's strongly hinted that from the beginning they are just toying with Fox they are using him and I think you know one of the the more obvious messages of the film is that you know um, money and wealth ultimately corrode your soul and 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 your ability to empathize with other people because money is what becomes your central motivation yeah and like it doesn't matter if you're gay or straight or whatever like it exactly. will corrupt you regardless it's yeah uh and, and no, go ahead. Um, and Betty, the uh, director of um, uh, Tukibuki, he had like a the big theme in his movies is, um, the need for money is bad and forces you to do things that you don't want to do. Yes, and that's that's a there's a Fassbender film called I Only Want You to Love Me, where that is like basically what the whole movie is about. This guy who uses he uh, he he grows up in a household where affection was withheld and he learns that that money and and gifts and and these like commodities are how you can buy love and it eventually you know leads to him digging this hole for himself where he, he you know he spends more money than he has because he thinks that's what he has to do in order to keep the people he loves in his life because that's that, that's the only way he has ever learned how to show affection or um, receive affection in return and it, uh, spoiler it does not end well for him uh, as you could probably guess because it is a Fassbender film um, but yeah that's I, I recommend that movie um, but it, it is very much like on theme with what you're talking about okay uh, I, I admire detail that really stuck out. I know a, I know some basic German, not enough to actually speak it on the podcast. Uh, sorry, Joel, you're not going to hear me speak German until maybe the last Fastbender episode, and then I might speak a little German. Mm-hmm. But um, <laughs> uh, when the rich when the rich gays leave or say bye, they say ciao. But when the other ones say bye they say tush with tush oh uh how the german word for there which is just like a casual bye yeah and so it's very interesting like okay the rich ones don't even say bye in german they say bye in italian yeah well we see that a lot like uh eugen speaks french and he goes to fancy french restaurants like that um this sort of um foreign culture for lack of a better term is an indicator of um, sophistication or elite status and so Eugen is always and these other uh, you know as you call them the rich gays they're always kind of um, trying to oh, what's the word I'm looking for they're they're trying to like show off that they are you know um, educated educated and um, classy by speaking French or Italian and they make Fox feel like he is inferior because he isn't um, bilingual or multilingual 
Um, but yeah, that's it. That's another interesting little detail. Yeah, and uh, th- th- there's a comment that 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 they make early in the movie that make that reminds me of Parasite, the Korean movie from a few years ago, mm-hmm. where uh, uh, they 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 f- basically flat out say like, "Well, he smells poor." Uh, yeah. At some point, and it's just like, oh, okay, yeah, like, which. There's so many disgusting things they say <laughs> yeah. about Fox. Like another, mm-hmm. at another point, um, Eugen and Fox are at home and they're sitting around and, and Eugen is basically berating him for his taste in music. And he says, you know, I'll, I'll turn you into a human being yet, which mm-hmm. I always shudder at that line. It's so gross. And it, it just kind of really underscores how little this man thinks of the, the person he's in a relationship with. Um, he doesn't even see him as human. He's just a thing to use to get what he wants. I haven't been in that kind of relationship, but I, I've definitely, you know, know people that have been in the relationship where they definitely feel, you know, they're with a partner that's like, oh, I'm going to fix you. And it's not like a, like they're struggling or anything like that. It's a, like, you're so different than me. Um and I know my way is the right way. My friend's way is the right way. You're not doing this. We're going to have to make some major changes if you want this, you know, relationship, this love that I'm kind of dangling over you all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And like, uh, uh, I, I read some reviews of this uh, beforehand, and there's mention that Fassbender was a fan of Douglas Sirk. Yes. And uh, I, I still haven't, I haven't seen any Doug, Douglas Sirk movies yet. Uh, there's some coming down, uh, th- down the line in season, but I, I'll probably watch uh, one or two before we get to those. But uh, oh. yeah, I would say you de- you definitely want to watch at least a few Douglas Sirk movies because I think I think it'll uh, help you better understand where Fassbender is coming from. Like, cause he he had kind of several distinct periods in his career and the one that i think is best known is what i you know you could refer to as his like melodrama period and that was very much influenced by douglas sirk you know when he saw uh, so the story goes like um after fassbender made beware of a holy horror he took a little bit of a break from filmmaking and during this time he uh, went to see a bunch of movies that were part of a douglas sirk retrospective and he absolutely fell in love and uh, it was at that point that he realized that melodrama was really an ideal form for his preoccupations and what he wanted to do um, with film because, you know, it concerned in large part people who were at odds with societal norms. And it, and it provided him um, this uh, template for exploring a lot of ideas about um, society and how we relate to each other that are maybe like difficult for people to accept or process. So um, like the melodrama provided an ideal way for him to package that in a, in a, in a form that was very entertaining, but that also communicated um, critique. And yeah, so he, he fell in love with the melodrama. And then, so that's when he, he started, he started with the merchant of four seasons and then the bitter tears of Pedro von Kant and, and many others, including Fox and his friends. But yeah, he w- he was a big big fan 
fan of Cirque. Yeah, and like when, I, uh, like part, why I think that like Cirque, like I saw the cultural thing of like fifties, uh, melodrama stuff, and this like the the other point where Fox is uh, prescribed Valium, which feels like it, which feels like a, a nod to like fifties housewife, ah, yeah, uh, uh, like culture, I guess. I don't know or how. Yeah, which uh, there's a. There's a Fassbender movie for that too. There, uh, it's it's called Fear of Fear, starring Margaret Carstensen. Uh, and and that's about a housewife who seems to be experiencing some kind of um, depression or anxiety or mental illness, but nobody can really properly diagnose her. And, and that is very that is very much like sort of in in that like fifties melodrama vein um and it's just got a really a uh, fantastic lead performance from margaret carstensen who is always incredible yeah okay so uh joel do you have anything else you want to say about fox and his friends i have a question for both of you okay so there's a scene after they get back from marrakesh where uh, the, the owner is freaking out because it's like we're ruined again you just happen to have to go on vacation and they bring in this magazine that has just been cut so that the top you know mm-hmm. most of the top part is missing yeah and it's because fox doesn't set the the i i, I don't this know he does like, he does something with the printing press that that messes it, things up yeah not this a very technical an explanation, but I don't, I don't really yeah. know how that works. So, exactly. Yeah. Well, they don't show us. They don't show us anything. Basically, my question is, did they do that on purpose, or did do you think that Fox actually messed up that bad? Hmm. I mean, I th- I think he actually messed up because he comes in the office and he explains that he did it. Uh, he also says he doesn't know how it happened. So it's like somehow he was not aware that this problem was happening, even though it was supposedly he's the one who set it up. Yeah, well, he says, like, I don't know anything about, you know, how to operate this machinery. But then, but, but like, the way, like, there's, like, gaslighting, like, gaslighting and making them feel completely worthless, I could see them uh, sabotaging something to make him feel even worse, like that. Because, yeah, a couple of scenes earlier, uh, Oigen is talking about like well I just need to get that apartment in my name and then a couple of yeah and then we have like the vacation a couple of scenes later and then this opportunity comes up where all of a sudden that apartment is his so I I, I don't know I was just wondering yeah I think I could I think it's most more I feel like the more likely reason is he messed up but yeah I that's always it, how I interpreted it but now I'm kind of now I want to go back and watch and rewatch that scene. Yeah, like, but also I think it is plausible that like they would sabotage him like this. Yeah, I, you know what I like to do? I just like to throw a little monkey in the wrench or yeah. monkey wrench into the <laughs> business and be like, hmm. Yeah. Also, the guy in Marrakesh, I'm pretty sure he was a secret agent. No, that I have no proof for that one. <laughs> <laughs> 
so uh, this is of the five. I think I've seen five. I've seen uh, Plague of the Gods. What is it called? Uh, Love of Gods of the Plague. God, there we go. Um, uh, Love's Colder or Death, Ali, this one. Maybe it's only four then. There might be a fifth I one. I've seen that are in the schedule that I've seen. Wow. Oh. So most most of my favorites you have not seen yet. Yeah, because the other ones are. I I got rid of Criterion Channel a while ago because I kind of stopped using it because I'm in college again and that takes up most of my time. So I ha- so it was like a waste of money. So uh yeah I'll probably when I have more free time I this is a thing like I will get back to maybe not completing all of it but getting more uh see, seeing more of a fast bender. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I've liked every single thing that I've seen by him, which is not that much, except for one where he. Um, it's based on a play, not not his play, and I don't think he directed it, but he is just this like huge ego-driven, crazy person who drinks all day and sleeps with women, but he's also just completely intolerable, and uh, <laughs> as what? with any movie that I've seen, I don't know if I know what you're talking he about. He dies at the end. Oh, hold on, let me look. Is um, it is it one of his films, or is it a movie that he acts in? N- no, it's a movie. It's like a. It was. Uh, I think it was for TV. It's called Ball B A A R. Oh yeah, that's that's a Volker Schlendorf. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't like that only because that like, target. Sometimes the character is just so detestable. You're like, I like what's going on, but I, I really don't like this person. <laughs> and uh, so I. That's good. That's a great. He does an amazing performance. I just. That is a movie that I wouldn't want to watch again, as opposed to this one. Like, Fox and His Friends was not un- depressing enough for me to be like, mm-hmm. "Oh, geez, that's I'm never going to watch this thing again." Mm-hmm. Yeah, the second the second time through, it wasn't as harsh. Like the first the first time was just like, "Jesus fucking Christ, that was the <laughs> like the bleak one of the bleakest <laughs> like depressing dramas I've ever seen." <laughs> But then, but I, but I can like watch Immemora, uh, which is, I think is equally as upsetting and uh, emotionally like uh, devastating. Like, like it's nothing. Like Immemora stuff is like, oh, this is comforting to me. I, I want more depressing, weird incest. <laughs> <laughs> so, do we have a movie recommendation if he's looking for more weird incest that a uh, Fassbender did? No, that's not. <laughs> No, but like, uh, but Immemora and Fassbender definitely are like the top tier of like ruin your yeah. day kind of movies. But well. Fassbender has like maybe like three times as many movies as. Uh, I mean, that's uh, yeah, and like quite a few of them you could fit into the category of ruin your day movies. Um, the one, so before we recorded, you said like have some mm. recommendations of, of, of films from nineteen seventy five. So yes, one Fassbender movie that I really love that is sort of underseen and not talked about as much is uh, a film he made in 19 from 1975 called mother Cooster's goes to heaven. And it is about, uh, um, uh, Brigitte Mira who stars in all the fury. It's the soul. And we also see her briefly in Fox and his friends as, um, a shop owner where, you know, Fox goes to buy the lottery ticket 
Um, but she plays a woman whose husband um, very unexpectedly uh, murders. He's a factory worker and he murders his boss and then kills himself. And she finds herself in the middle of this media circus uh, where everybody is, has become fixated on, uh, you know, this, this, this story and what her husband did. And, um, you know, various people and political factions are trying to manipulate her into getting involved with their causes by saying, you know, like there's a Karl Heinz uh, Bohm and uh, Margaret Carsonson play a communist couple. And he's like the leader of the communist party uh, in West Germany or not in, not in West Germany, but like the branch of the communist party, wherever, wherever she lives. I forget where, where exactly the film takes place, but uh, he tries to like recruit her and, and convince her that like, Oh, her, you know, what happened to your husband is the result of capitalism. And, you know, your husband is a martyr for, um, the, 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 the workers, the cause of the workers. And, you know, later like a, an anarchist group tries to, um, get her involved with, with their, uh, goings on. And, um, it, it's just kind of a movie about how this poor woman is used and manipulated um, by these various groups and by the media. And her children seem to really have no interest, you know, in what she's dealing with. And um, it's, I guess, it, it's like, it, it was Fassbender's response to a lot of, you know, what he perceived as, What's the word I'm looking for here? Sorry, guys. Don't worry about it. Like, you know, the the left being sort of ineffectual in realizing the change that they talk about, and 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 not actually doing anything. Like a lot of it was 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 theory, but not action, and so. Um, you know, the, the, the movie explores a lot of these ideas. Uh, and of course, uh, Brigitte Mira is incredible um, as Mother Cousters. And so that's, that's a really good Fassbender movie that, you know, doesn't really have the reputation of like some of his better known films, but is just as good. Um, another movie from 1975 I want to recommend is Kurt McDowell's Thundercrack which is a very, very different movie. Uh, it is this 160-minute art house horror porn um, where, like, every kind of sexuality you can think of is represented. And it's, it's sort of a takeoff on the old dark house. Like, the premise is there, it's a dark and stormy night, and various strangers wind up stranded at this secluded mansion. And, you know weird things happen and it, it's very campy oh, and fun it's uh george okay it's, uh, yeah george so, kuchar wrote it yes that yeah, he, he was, was uh, the partner of kurt mcdowell who who and uh, i think he's he was the mentor of sarah, uh, sarah jacobson oh okay i think i didn't he, know that i believe there was a connection between two of them i might be wrong about that but or or she's a big fan of him but i can't remember 
if they actually knew each other or not. Anyway, um, do you have any anything else, uh, Adriana, or is that it? Uh, I think that's it. Okay. For me, uh, okay. Uh, I'll try to be quick with mine. One, uh, it's known thing. I love Russ Meyer. Uh, so Russ Meyer, my favorite Russ Meyer movie, Super Vixens, is from this year. If you, this is like the era of Russ Meyer where it's like, oh, he can do full nudity now. Great. And so now it <laughs> feels, I don't not even say like, like a porn because like Russ Meyer, like, like this is his fetish and no one else's fetish pretty much. Like how I like really sum up like what these movies feel like, but it's, it's very raw American independent filmmaking with like, it's like a um, Looney Tunes sex comedy mixed with this, like this weird vibe that I love about uh, Russ movies and um, I think it might be on YouTube in full still because rights to his Russ Meyer stuff is complicated because you know, legal stuff but uh, uh, he's not for everyone but I, I I love and adore Russ Meyer and I also uh, love Russ Meyer uh, what's your favorite Russ Meyer movie I mean I have a soft spot for Beyond the Valley of the Dolls and Faster Pussycat Kill Kill. I know that's like very, like entry level response, but there's no there's no judgment here. <laughs> that's that's valid. No, uh, wait, wait, keep keep going, Adrian. I, I I'm yeah. sorry, I didn't. I trying to interrupt you. Sorry. Well, I like I I also really love Mud Honey. That's a good one. Uh, I think that one is on YouTube. I, I and actually, there's a Fossbender connection because Fanny Hill, um, Uli Lamel is in Fanny Hill. Oh, I like that one a lot. And of course, Uli Lamel stars in Fossbender's um, debut feature film, Love Is Colder Than Death, and and several of his other movies. But yeah. Huh, crazy. Okay, so um, I, another movie. <coughs> I love Ralph Bakshi. I love like the grotesque, uh, ugly style of animation he does in Coonskin. It's his best movie. It's not great because it's it's a Bakshi movie, so it has. Uh, it's like it just doesn't fully work. But that's part of why I like Rushmore, not Rushmore, <laughs> Ralph Bakshi, because like nothing about his movies really fully work. But this is one that works the most. But Coonskin is his take on uh, Song of the South, but it's 1970s Harlem. And it's not like a Django Unchained situation where it's like, uh, I don't think Tarantino talked to black people when, before making the movie. <laughs> where uh, this is this is true. Back she did like he he talked to black people in Harlem like, "What's your life like?" And there's even like a monologue sequence where there's this, this, a black woman who I don't think is an actor. She like she's just like a black woman who was lived who lived in the area. It's anime, and she's like just talking about the realities of being a single mom. I think a single mom, like in Harlem at the at this point in time. And it's it's very ugly. It's very grotesque. There's like a lot of racist jokes, but it serves a purpose. Whereas like he's using all the ugliest racial 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 shit, and it's like just throwing it in your face. Like 
this is gross and fucked up. Look how gross and fucked up all of this is. And it's kind of brilliant, but also kind of a, a giant mess. But, yeah, uh, I mean, I'm always sort of suspicious of movies like that by white people. But I actually, I didn't realize that that uh, Bakshi at least did try to get input from the community he was depicting. So that that's interesting. That's definitely, yeah, I like... I, I agree with your uh, assessment of, of Tarantino. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, may, I need to revisit Coonskin because I, I did not like it when I watched uh, that, it, but it was a long time ago. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I should say I, I, I'm black, so, like, movies, uh, the Tarantino black stuff really, really gets to me in a way that's like, I, I can't watch his movies anymore. It bothers me so much. Yeah. And even the way he talks in interviews. Uh, don't let's not get into that. Yeah, we we this is not a Tarantino podcast. So. Joel, Joel, I'm sorry for bringing bringing up this up again. I mean, you like that movie? I don't. I don't think there's anything wrong with how much you talk about it. It is okay. not something that I've seen. Okay. Uh, yeah, but anyway, Coonskin. It's uh, Barry White and. Uh, Barry White and uh the guy from Miami Vice are the two are two of the main characters and it's kind of crazy. And uh what else was it? Don Johnson? Okay. No, the black one. Oh, okay. I always get his name the order of the names wrong. <laughs> and my I last one my last one is uh the beast the Barovchak movie. Ooh. I don't know if I even call it a good movie, but it's more of a crazy experience that you kind of It's have a vibe. To... There we go. If you like, I don't know, I don't know what to even say extreme stuff. It's just this very sexually aggressive, I like, bestiality rape fantasy Yeah. movie, and it's very... I feel like you're going to know fast if you're going to hate it or not, because the movie opens with uh, a, a, a stable, uh, uh, horse stable uh, hand trying to get horses to fuck, and you see the horses fuck, and it's like, well, this is grotesque, <laughs> and it gets even more grotesque. I uh, I like what I've seen by Barovchek. Um You know, the strange case of Doctor Jekyll and Miss Osborne. I really like that one, and that also has a Fassbender connection because uh, it stars Udo Kier, who. Fassbender knew as a teenager um, they kind of frequented certain like working class bars and gay bars and then later he reconnected with him uh, as adults you know after 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 Udo Kier had you know been acting for quite some time um, and uh, you know Kier then appeared in a number of Fassbender's later films but uh yeah, Dr. Jekyll and Miss Osborne, I really like. I like Behind Convent Walls, which is another kind of, like, sleazy, psychosexual uh, drama. And I think, what I've seen one other movie by him. Oh, Immortal Tales, which is an anthology film of yeah. sorts. Which was on Netflix streaming for a long time. Yeah, which was weird. <laughs> which... I'm shocked my dad never stumbled into that on an accident and telling me he he watched some weird movie because if if he finds find some weird shit on Netflix he will let me know 
And half the time it's like, oh, I've seen that already. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, and, oh, and um, one thing, another thing about Coonskin, Scorsese and Bakshi were friends at the time, and Scorsese did some B-roll footage for the movie. Wow. I don't know if they're still friends, but yeah, they were apparently friends at one point. It's a good bit of trivia. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay, so uh, J-Dog... J. Diesel, what you got? I don't have anything new for 1975. That doesn't matter. I thought there's Lozava right here. That's that's the year. So all kind of most of the things I've watched were pretty damn good. Dolomite, obviously, just as Mm. good as that Kurosawa movie I just mentioned. Um, (laughs) Sure. (laughs) The the worst of the Dolomite movies. Ah, Dolomite is the worst of the Dolomite. Yeah, well, the, the, yeah, it's the worst of the Rudery Moore movies. It's still nice. good, but it's not the, it's not the crown jewel. Oh, good. Well, I'm just going to talk about a movie that is not like a particular favorite of mine, but according to Letterboxd, it hasn't been seen by as many people as I would have thought. It's called Take a Hard Ride. I recommended it probably before, even though, like I said, it's not my favorite, but stars Jim Brown and Fred Williamson uh, and Jim Kelly as a Native American that knows martial arts. He's just, you know, filling space. One of those Italian westerns directed by Antonio Margaretti, speaking of Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's a pretty typical plot, you know? These guys, bandits, they're getting pursued by bounty hunters. Lee Van Cleef is a bounty hunter in this. Catherine Speck also in this movie, although I don't think her character has a name, so you can you can uh, appreciate how much they were thinking about the uh, woman's role in stuff. No, <laughs> I don't. Like I said, it, it's just a, a simple Western. It's fun to see these actors, like period piece Western style, being uh, working together and, and things like that. They, there's heists. There's people shot. There's horses, explosions. What else do you need? I asked a question. No, I'm just oh. kidding. <laughs> um, Shelley Duvall? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, yeah, she's in it, too. As, uh, no, she isn't. Hal Needham. <laughs> okay. Harry Jr. These are just names that I know that are also people in the movie. Yeah, I, I don't really have anything hot to say about it. Uh, Adriana, do you have any spaghetti westerns that you hold dear to your heart? I gotta say, like west westerns are isn't the western genre is not one that I have particular affection for, and the, the kinds of westerns I like tend to be unconventional. Like, like I like the Great Silence, mm. um, and I really like uh, Mario Van Peebles' Posse. Which is, I, like, I, a very underseen yeah. gem. Yeah, I, that was also on Netflix for a while, which is funny. Uh, never bought... It was just, like, in my watch list, and I kept going, eh, not today, not today, and I don't think it's there anymore. Um, and another one I really like, it's a German film uh, called Deadlock by Roland Click. And that's, that's like, a very good, tense, uh, western-ish film set in the desert. And um, it stars this guy, Markhard Bohm, who is also... In several early Fassbender films, 
And actually, I'm, I believe he plays a very minor role in Fox and his friends as well. as like one of the American GIs who Fox tries to pick up. A white one or a black one? The white one. Okay. Um, what about Lust in the Dust? That's a Western. Oh, yeah. I can't believe I, f- I forgot about that when we we started the ep- or well, I think actually we weren't recording at that point, but oh, we no. were talking about it before we recorded. But yeah, that's that's of course a, a a a very campy sort of take on the western, but very good. Yeah, I might, that might be the gayest western. Uh. No, I mean there's like actual gay porn, <laughs> like Billy okay, wanted yeah. Billy the Kid. Um, which was like a, ha- I believe that was a hand in hand films production. Um, mm. I think, I think Jack Wrangler is in that. Hang on a second. I'm frantically Googling. But yeah, there, there are like, there's like g- gay porn that he has like a Western setting that I think is probably gayer than okay. Less in the Dust. But that, that's a, that's a fair point. I, okay, I haven't done this in a while, but I don't know if this is the right year or not, but, uh, uh, it's not, but who cares? Um, 75, um, this is almost, this, uh, the movie Water Power came out, huh. uh, a couple years after this, and it's a movie I haven't seen because it's hard to find, but I want to see Water Power. I it's, can hook you up with a copy of Water oh, Power. Oh, thank you. Mm. It's a taxi driver, but... I guess if it was if it was a porn about enemas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that's yes. one way to describe it. <laughs> Oddly enough, I was wearing a water powered T shirt yesterday. Yeah, it's it's something that I've heard legend of for years. It's one of those like it's... I've seen some Jamie Gillis stuff. I want to see him be demented. This is <laughs> anyway. Oh, uh, before I forget, I meant to open episode with this. Uh, I think it was. Thursday, <clears throat> um, Sophie Faye died. She was the first Senegalese woman to direct a feature film. Uh, she, uh, her debut film, I forgot the name of it. Um, it's it's online if you look in the right places. Uh, I'll say that. But uh, it, I think it was 1975 or 76 is when it came out. Uh, a little earlier. But she was one of the first black women ever to direct a feature film i think there was a congolese woman who directed a feature film before her in the earlier like 71 or 72 but uh this is before any black american woman ever directed a feature film by the way just uh, that's for point of reference uh and uh yeah, sophie fay only made two feature films and one short film and she was still around i was hoping criterion would like put her movies on the channel but I, I i'd cancel it in in december but i still never saw any like anyone like put her stuff up streaming you can find her stuff again online if you look in the right places but uh yeah rest uh, not, not rest in peace i don't even know what her religion was but uh she is mm-hmm. gone but not forgotten she uh, she's a trailblazer she's extremely important but just the fact that her stuff is just so criminally underseen and it's like, like, and just being like one of the first isn't the best thing, but like she's one of the first black women to direct a, direct a feature film that played in commercial theaters. Wow. That's a, and no one talks about her because yeah, it's I've like, never even heard of her until now, which is a shame. 
Yeah, and it, it just sucks because, like, you have to do so much work to find her movies. But, yeah, it's... Uh, yeah, and uh, she was at a New York African Film Festival a couple years ago, and I I couldn't go, and I, I was very upset because I thought, okay, maybe she'll be at the one... Uh, another one in a couple years and uh, that was my one chance to ever get to like see her in person and uh, yeah so uh, re regardless uh, seek out her move seek out her two feature films which are online uh, and her short film also is I, th I have not seen yet but it has to be out there somewhere all right so that's it um uh, Adriana, you will be back for another uh, Fastbender movie. Uh, yeah, you can pick the uh, what, next one. We actually, I don't even have one set up a schedule. You can just randomly pick one now, and we can just <laughs> okay. go for well, it. Well, I, I mean, really you care. mentioned a wanting to cover <laughs> the bitter tears of Petra von Kant, which I think is a really good pick. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, but I think it would be cool to do one of you know his lesser known movies like maybe the, th the third generation all right uh, or, uh, um, I don't know, uh pick, pick a deep cut okay i will hell yeah stay tuned folks okay and uh what else uh oh fox and his friends is available in a lot of places uh if you if you made it this far check it out and uh it's not a fun movie but I like movies that aren't fun, so I don't know. It's just an excellent movie, yeah. Yeah. Most me. And, uh, okay, for me, I write for Grumpire on occasion. Uh, I'll have stuff on there this year, hopefully. Uh, and, um, yeah, this Grumpire. And, uh, I'll, I'll be on Movies from Hell this year. That's all I know. I'm on there like five times a year at least. And yeah, that's look out for that stuff. Uh, I'm on the show's on Twitter at Sister Sewer Rat, which is a reference to Dark Habits, the Amundervar film. And uh, all one word, by the way, Sister Sewer Rat. Uh, J Dog, uh, what you what what do you got? Not doing anything right now, but I'm definitely thinking about doing more things now that my mental health is in a place where I don't feel like I'm going to crack open like an egg every time I get in front of a microphone by myself. So, I don't know. What do you guys like? Um, movies? Oh, yeah. I'll probably do something about movies. But uh, movies with hugs in them. You know, okay. something cuddly. And uh, Adriana, uh, well, what do you have writing stuff coming up? Podcast appearances? uh well, I mean, as I mentioned um, earlier, I co-host a podcast about Par Paul Bartell called Bartell Me Something Good. It's part of Cinema Smor Smorgasbord, which is um, part of the Cinepunks podcast network. Um, I also just recently published my first piece of writing in like two years uh, for Split Tooth Media. Uh, it's an article on a Fassbender-adjacent film called The Island of the Bloody Plantation, which is a, a, an exploitation film directed by Kurt Robb, uh, and it stars 
um, Udo Kier and uh, Barbara Valentin, uh, Kurt Robb, Peter Kern, a number of, of Fassbender's frequent collaborators. Uh, and the article delves into the very disastrous production of the film um, and, and the various people who made the movie. So you can find that on splittoothmedia.com. That sounds fascinating. And uh, before we officially uh, go, I forgot to mention the guy who played Uncle Max in Fox and his Friends is the guy from Peeping Tom. Yes. Which, uh, he looked familiar, and I, I, I was getting creeped out already. Like, I think that might be why <laughs> I, I found him so creepy. Uh, yeah. Makes more sense. Yeah. Yeah, so, uh, yes. The uh, next episode we, we're recording will be El Pico 1 and 2. Uh, two more super fun movies, Joel. So uh, get ready for oh two fun movies about children, uh, about teen kids who are That's addicted to heroin. That's de la Iglesia, right? Yes. Did you pick the movies in this season in order to make me uncomfortable? Is that, is that what's going no. on? Okay. Uh, no. Okay. We're not going to do any animated movie where children are getting murdered or worse things, right? Because it's like literally the my um, least... Yeah. No, no, this is just like teen drug use, and it's very grim. It's, it's on Shutter. Oh, yeah, it is on Shutter. Also, I'm looking at Amazon, and mm-hmm. right now you can get one and two for on Blu ray for $26.99, which is really good. I highly recommend those movies. Severin put out a Blu ray with both of the Pico films, and um, another one that is. The name is uh, escaping me. But... Navalleros. Yes, that's it. Which is the knifers, I think, in English. <laughs> yeah. In uh, spoiler, uh, Joel, before you watch those movies, the actors in them are like were, were like actual street kids who were addicted to heroin, so it's very, very, very real, and very uncomfortable. Oh. Yeah. Uh, they, none of them, I don't think any of them had happy endings. I think a lot of them are are, are dead or in prison. Oh, anyway, thanks for making uh, making this easier on me. Really appreciate that. Well, I want what you do now <laughs> instead of getting blindsided later. Oh, okay. Anyway, yeah. So that's it. Uh, watch watch El Pico movies if you haven't. Um, there are there are, are uh, a lot to take, but if you I don't know. Yeah, I'll leave it at that. And uh, yeah, see you guys next time. For that or something else. I haven't decided the order of release yet. So should I stop now? If you want to. Our theme music is by James Fell. Our logo is by Andrew Bargeron. You can find him as Jemetsko on Threadless, TeePublic, Redbubble, Shirt Woot Catalog, and T-Theory. That is spelled G-I-M-E-T-Z-C-O. 
You can find our show in previous seasons on Podbean, Spotify, Google Play, and other places where you can find podcasts.